Welcome to Ask the Expert. I'm Ross Brand, and Ask the Expert is brought to you by LivestreamUniverse.com. And now let's meet this month's expert. Debbie Wong is an executive and life coach who works with clients facing challenges at work and at home. Uh, she's also the head of talent and development for markets and distribution at Bank of Mellon, uh, Bank of New York Mellon, and a published author of a travel memoir, The Same Sky, A Traveler's Quest for Redemption and Peace. Debbie, welcome. So glad to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. So let's look at the first. of you, you obviously do a lot of different things and do them well, but let's start with the first of those three things. That's what today's okay. show is all about. Um, you're an executive and life coach. What exactly is an executive coach and what exactly is a life coach? Okay. Well, um, yeah, so coaching could mean a number of things. Um, so being an executive coach simply means a coach specific to the business. Um, and it doesn't have to be at the executive level. And a life coach is everything, everything including work. So when I say I'm an executive and life coach, um, I'm a coach to anybody who wants to talk about work or life challenges. And my role as a coach is to navigate and provide the kind of questions that help a person get through some of those issues. I'm not there to tell them what to do. I, I'm not there to, to, to judge. Um, I'm simply there to listen as a neutral person and help guide people through some of those really big, tough challenges in life, um, whether that's work or personal. Your coaching process isn't like a football coach where you scream and yell at people and you tell them it's my way or the highway and you curse at them when they mess up and you make them do it again right there on the spot. That's yeah. not what this coaching process is about. Can you talk a little bit about what actually is the, the coaches when you work with clients? That's a great question, Ross, because you know I get that all the time. Like, are you going to be like my my basketball coach in high school who ordered me around and told me what to do? And, and, you know, traditionally, when you think of a coach, you think of a sports coach standing there on the sidelines yelling at you. So an executive or personal or life coach um, is, is quite different. It's actually the opposite. We're not here to tell you what to do because it is far more empowering to have um, to have somebody like myself or a coach guide you through and have the person come to it, come to their own solutions. That's far more empowering and easy, actually, than me saying, you know, Ross, you got to stop doing this, this, and this, as opposed to Ross coming to his own aha moment going, ah, yes, I do need to be more confident in this meeting, or I do need to, you know, be more assertive when I talk to so-and-so, you know. And a lot of times when you think about a sports coach, you know, you're thinking they're the expert, you know, that's a basketball coach. He knows, you know, all the ins and outs of basketball. Not quite the same with an executive and, and, and life coach. I don't have to know everything that's going on in your life. Sometimes when I run a coaching session, especially for the first time, a lot of people want to share their, their whole life in the, in, the first 20 minutes. And I, I often stop them and say, I actually don't need to know everything. I just need to know where are you in this moment of time? What's really causing you to feel anxious or worried? And, and why is that for you? And let's just talk about that little snapshot of time for you. Yeah. Now, do you do coaching in, in your job as well? Is that, I know you're, you've been in the learning and development in the HR field for a long time. Does that include coaching? 
yes, so interesting question. I actually just joined BNY Mellon or Bank of New York Mellon as of last week. So brand new, thank you. Right, brand new. So I'm not sure if I'll be doing some coaching there. Um, I'm the head of uh, talent and development for the distribution and markets groups there. Uh, at Bloomberg, where I was just recently, um, there were a number of um, coaching um, opportunities and there were a number of executives that I met um, on a regular basis and we had six month goals even. Um, so yes, at Bloomberg, I had a number of clients and I also have my own you know, personal clients that I, I see and talk to you know, in the evenings. Um, yeah, so maybe, maybe at BNY. Yeah. So we want the show to be all about the questions that our, our viewers have. So let's get right to it. Um, Lynn asks uh, a question. What is the distinction between life coach and mental health counselor? If client has challenges with self-esteem and depression, for example, do you still work with them or refer them to a therapist for the depression first? Excellent questions, Lynn. I, I think I get I get asked this from time to time. What's the difference between you and a counselor and a therapist and, you know, and a psychiatrist? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, um, besides the income level, <laughs> it's quite different. I laugh about that. But anyway, um, with a, with, in all seriousness, with a life coach, um, I would say the biggest difference is that my training, my certification is is around um, people's challenges, um, whether at work or at home or whatever, and anything that is beyond that, that includes things like um, mental health issues where, like you mentioned about depression, but depression at a very serious level where maybe they need medication or maybe they need someone who is specifically trained in this area to help them. Um, we have to follow a certain code of conduct, um, ethics, that if we are not able to help them beyond what we can, we do need to refer them to somebody else. And we're very transparent. That's, that's the other thing. A coach would never like string someone along and I'm here to help, you know. Um, in many ways, a coach is only asking questions and guiding them, but a, a mental health counselor might have a very different approach. Um, because in that case, you know, you're talking about life and death in some cases. Um, as for your second question, yeah, absolutely. I refer them to a therapist if I need to, um, uh, especially if it's something that's out of my my realm. Thanks. Uh, Zala asks a, a good question as well. What would you say is the biggest difference between coaching and mentoring? Yes. A lot of times people wish both in the same person. Yeah, great question. So very different. A mentor is a subject matter expert who is going to basically tell you what has been his life experience or her life experience. And this person is going to be a little bit more guiding to say, well, in that situation, I think you should do this. Um, I think it'd be best if you do this. And for a life coach um, or an executive coach, um, we are not supposed to play that role where uh, we are so neutral. I mean, there are times when I'm dying to tell, oh, that happened to me too, or I know what you mean. I've, I've had tough bosses and I've had to say this or that, but we're not supposed to. Um, we are meant to be a neutral third party person that's really to listen and to um, hear ideas 
Um, and I'm not there to share my stories. Um, it's all about the client. The focus is on the client, which I think is a wonderful thing about coaching. I mean, talk about spending an hour just talking about yourself. It's, it's great. So um, the second half of your, your comment there, Zala, I would say that a lot of times clients do wish that with both, uh, both roles in, in a person, but I think that's very hard to do. It's either one or the other. Um, um, in order to create a safe environment for someone to open and share, um, th these are very, you know, very different roles that a mentor and a coach would play. I hope that makes sense. What are the major issues that people come to you? If you had a list like the top three or four challenges that your clients are having, um, either in at work or at home, what, yeah, what would you say yeah. they are? You know, when I first started getting my certification in coaching, I thought, wow, I don't, I don't know everything at the executive level. I don't know everything about this or that. And I don't have to. I don't have to be an expert in all these areas in order to help people. And in answer to your question, the reason why is because when people hire a coach like myself, they are, in essence, talking about a lot of human issues. So I, I get a lot of... Um, I would say that I would say about 80% of the time, it's about the same issues around um, feeling a lack of confidence in doing something, um, not wanting to address conflict because it's uncomfortable, feeling like they're at a crossroads between um, career paths and should I get out of this job or should I take that risk and move elsewhere? You know, so it's usually, you know, something along that line of where you're really torn between um, two paths or you're not sure how to handle a, a difficult situation. So um, it starts off usually in the first couple sessions, they'll start off like, oh, this is what's happening, you know, in my workplace or this is happening with my boss or my team or my, my husband, you know. And then after a couple sessions, we end up talking about the same things, you know, about, about whether it's at home or at, at work, it all tends to blend into each other. So in other words, if I'm having assertiveness issues at work, I might also be having assertiveness issues with speaking up about something with my husband, you know, so in many ways, right. they're very much uh, married and linked. Thanks, Cindy, for that question. Um, a question that comes to mind is um, obviously career is a part of a lot of the people that you work with. It's whether it's how they can do better or how they can overcome a challenge in their current job, or it might be how they can get out and find something that they like doing better or whatever. As an HR professional, is it hard sometimes not to, I don't know, see the mistake <laughs> so that they're making and just jump in and say, okay, these are the five <laughs> steps you need to take to correct it. Or, you know, here's the thing you're yeah. looking, your yeah. talent is here, you're looking there, whatever. Like, how do you draw the line? Because I mean, it's gotta be hard when you do have expertise in the career area, not to yeah. go all in with your own, That's with fair. your own input. So I've been a human resources professional, um, say for the last, um, Eight, well, 18 years. Goodness, just dated myself. Wow. <laughs> yes, I started when I was 10. Um, <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> you yes, and Mozart exactly, started at exactly. very young age. So um, being in human resources all these years, um, it, it's so easy to hear. In the beginning, it was so easy to hear things and go, you just got to do that. Oh, you, you just got to listen more to your employees. Or, you know, you just got to do this as well. 
it's so easy to do that. And um, I have to say a real turning point for me when I went into coaching, I actually started coaching even before when I was at Bloomberg, when I was at a, um, a, a public relations strategy firm called APCO. And I was there for about seven years. And I have to say, I learned a lot from my idea about what coaching is, because coaching isn't telling people what to do. And I think the most vulnerable things that I've had to face in learning to be a coach is for me to not be in control and to really let it go and be a big Buddha <laughs> and just allow the path to happen. I would say most of the time when my clients call me up or I'm talking to them in person, they start off talking about, well, I want to talk about my time management issues. And as we dig a bit deeper, we end up talking about, you know, an issue of conflict or an issue, um, you know, that's really resonating with them. That's a lot deeper. And so, you know, it's all about their agenda. So I can't say, hey, 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 I thought we we're talking about, you know, time management or, hey, I thought we were. And so it's, it's right. all about what they want. So in answer to your question, Ross, I think that when people come to the table and want to discuss issues, it's about their topic. It's also about what, what they feel they're comfortable in embracing. Um, there are many times when, you know, for example, someone is having a really difficult time with their boss and they, and, you know, I'm sitting there like, you just got to speak up. You got to tell them how you're feeling. And I can't. <laughs> and instead I'm asking questions like, um, what are the alternatives that you have? Um, what are the consequences if you don't say something? How is this impacting your life? Um, what, what, what do you want to do if you were to say something? So I'm going down that path with this person, trying to explore and give options. And it is only when they feel they want to open that door to say, you know what, I, I do feel that I should say something, for example. Then, um, then yes, we move in that direction. It's that aha moment. And I, I have to say it's really tough because I might be ready <laughs> for the answer, but they might not be. Um, so being, being able to live in that moment and be there for them is, is probably one of the toughest things about being a coach. Now, I know that you, the term executive coach just doesn't apply to executives at the top of a company. Um, it could apply to people at, at different places right along the process. Um, but when it comes to working with executives, is it a challenge to get them to be patient with the coaching process? Because after all, they're very much like get me the results, get it now. He, tell me what I need to do so I can make it happen. Bring me a report, right? Like they, they, they got where they are by taking action. And the process isn't necessarily about running at a hundred miles yeah. an hour, right? Out yeah. of the gate. It's requires some reflection. It requires some asking questions. How does that, that work when you're working with somebody who's kind of high powered yeah. and they're used to, okay, we're going to do it and yeah. we're going to get it done. Exactly. Now. Exactly. <laughs> What's the answer? What tell me tell me what my two options are so I can make a decision and we move forward. Yeah. So um the other day I was coaching someone who is a very high level lawyer. And um, you know, without going into a lot of detail, she was really struggling with just give me the answer. I'm having problems with my time management. I'm overloaded. Just tell me what to do. Give me my top ten tips. <laughs> and um, I, I had to stop for a second and say, okay, um, 
I could give you tips. I could even point you in the right direction with some books, you know. But would you like to be, would you be willing to go down the path as to why it is so important for you to be in control, to really understand that about yourself? And she was like, okay, sure. So we went down that path and we started to talk and, you know, we dug a little bit deeper and there was some major, major things that she hadn't thought about, which is why do I say yes to everybody? Why as one of the only female executive that's in the legal department, um, you know, is, is it hard for her to push back? And so I, I bring this up with the, these executives that want the hard and fast you know, answers that I could give that, but why don't we explore what's really at the heart of it? You know, and I, and I do think that, um, you know, I, I do think it was so helpful for her to at least kind of um, explore that for herself. And I remember it after that session was over, you know, we had, a, we had a moment of resonance that we call coaching where she was saying, you know what, I didn't realize that I was trying to make everyone happy except for myself. And this is now affecting my home life, you know, and, and that's another topic altogether. <laughs> so yeah, I, I try to, in answer to your question, I try to slow that down. I try to give them those options because I can't tell them, hey, I'm not, I don't think you should talk about that. I'm not even supposed to do that. I'm supposed to say, okay, we could talk about tips or we could really go down this road of, of this path of understanding what's really going on. We're talking with Debbie Wong on Ask the Expert about the field of coaching. And Zella asks, um, she was wondering about the situation where um, friends and close family come to you and want your help, want coaching from you. Um, but maybe it's not really a great thing because you're maybe too close to it. And then they think you, you don't want to be yeah. helpful. Yeah. So I have my own rule. Um, every coach has their own rule. Um you know, do you or do you not coach your friends, right? So, um, or family. Um, I, I, I have coached friends, but my rule is I put the disclaimer out there going, okay, I'm now going to put on my coaching hat and I'm just going to ask questions to explore here. And I'm not here to judge and I still love you all the same. But let's, let's talk about this. Are you okay with that? Or do you want me to put on a different hat, a friend hat? Because if you want me to put on my friend hat, then I'm going to tell you what I think. <laughs> If you're willing to listen, or if you want me to put on my coaching hat, then let's explore. And, and I'm going to ask questions. Um, I really like what Cindy wrote there, which is it's hard to be unbiased. Absolutely. It, you know, it's, it's actually all the harder when you're coaching people that you have an emotional investment with. And um, it, it's again, you're, you're not, you're not there to judge them. Um, you're, you're there to just help them explore in many ways. It's not even, the goal is not to come with da 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 da. Here's the answer. The goal is to get people to explore. I've I've had coaching relationships where it's taken three, maybe even four sessions, before they come to a place of resonance, and realize, you know what, this is something I need to change in myself. Um, but it took three or four sessions to think through, like, okay, why is this happening? What's going on? Am I open to this? Um, and that's why it's even harder with family because you you're watching it. <laughs> You don't want it to be a train wreck. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I put that out there to ask, is it okay that I, I put on my coaching hat? Now, coaching isn't really the most highly regulated industry. Yeah. <laughs> um, where, For people who are seeking 
a coach and maybe don't exactly have somebody that they are referred to or whatever, what are some of the ways they can go out and ensure that they're getting involved with somebody who either has the right background or follows the right principles or whatever? Like, how do you go about finding a coach (laughs) if you don't really know anybody? So, Ross, I'm so glad you brought that up because there are some terrible coaches out there. (laughs) And how do I know that? Because I've interacted with some of them. It is so easy to slap on that title, executive coach or life coach, and put that on my business card and have absolutely no accreditation. Um, I belong to the ICF, the International Coaching Federation. It's one of the the biggest, I think it is the biggest um, coaching federation out there. And there are some very high standards. Like you have to have completed 60 classroom hours and it's pretty rigorous. And you have to have completed 100, you know, coaching hours, a hundred, that's a lot. And you have a coach sponsor that um, observes you and critiques you. um, And then you sit for a three hour exam. It's very, very rigorous. Now I'm not saying that's the be all and end all that you should only get a coach that's ICF certified. I, I just, I'm a little biased there. I happen to think it's a very good organization. Right. However, having said that, I would say the second cri- criterion would be, um, you know, not only find someone who's, you know, certified and trained in this area, but the second thing is if you are looking for a coach, um, I think you need to gel with them to connect with them. You know, um, like Ross, I could be your coach and, you know, we could be talking and, and, you know, you might not feel comfortable for whatever reason, or whatever personal dynamics, not not <laughs> feel that you can open up with me, and that's okay. And I wouldn't take that personally. It just you know it's like it's like choosing um, choosing a mentor or or choosing you know choosing someone that you're going to be opening up to a lot. You're going to want to feel comfortable with that person. So um, that personal dynamic happens a lot of times. People ask, should you have the the same sex um, coach? Um, I, I have both. I have male and I have female clients. Um, again, it depends on what people are more comfortable with. How does it work within an organization, right? When a company hires a coach for one of their executives and you want the executive to open up, right? And they're also thinking, okay, this person works for the company. Maybe I don't really want to open up to them. Like there are obviously standards and, and practices, right? That, that indicate that you, you know, things will be between the, the coachee and the coach, right? Yeah. But it's a natural fear. It's just like when a company sends around a survey and says, tell us what you think of, yes. you know, some initiative or whatever. And, and half the people are going to give a positive answer no matter what yeah. they think of it, because they feel like, yeah. OK, somebody will read the answer and I'll come back to haunt them. Right. at some point. Right. Um, so that's got to be a challenge when the person isn't hiring the coach themselves, but the organization's mm-hmm. coming to them mm-hmm. and saying, we want you to work with this person. And also and. You know what? I'll let you answer that question. I do have a follow-up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, in past companies I've worked at where there is an actual executive coaching assignment, which is usually for about six months or, or right. three months, depending on the, the need, um, there's a very rigorous process that goes on where, um, you know, someone is being identified as needing coaching. And usually that person um, is a high potential or a high 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 potential and high performer. Um, And you might be wondering, well, then why do they need coaching? Well, um, in the right setting, and I really promote this, um, you know, the the company is thinking about taking them to the next level or maybe having them be promoted at some point or they're they're considered to be top talent. How do we invest in them? 
So coaching should be seen as a fantastic opportunity, not as a remedial, oh, you're a loser, you're not performing well, we're going to fire you anyway, so we'll just send you a coach. So that, to me personally, I don't think that's the right way to go. I think that a, a, the right way to use a coach in an organization is for um, people that are aspiring to be um, great leaders that are wanting to move into another area, but they just need some tweaking or some help um, you know, with, with their roles. Uh, there is a very, very, very strict rule of confidentiality with ICF, International Coaching Federation, and that goes for executive coaching and personal coaching, that whatever I talk about with my client is only between me and that person. So um, it's not like I can just get off the phone with a client and then right. suddenly turn to my husband and go, whoa, let me tell you what I just heard. Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm not supposed to do that. And the reason why is because you want to create an environment where that person feels completely safe to say whatever they want. However, I will say this though, um, in companies that I've, I've been at, uh, namely my last one, if that person were to say to me, I'm thinking about leaving the company for X, Y, Z you know, reason, I would, I would need to, to report that. And I, and I say that up front to my client. Um, everything is confidential. However, if you were to say anything that would bring harm to yourself or to the company or, you would need, or you're thinking about resigning, I do need to report that. The person right. would verbally say yes and then we is is that because the company's making an investment with the understanding that the person's going to be there for a while right that's right that's right yeah it, it's an investment and it's expensive you know it's it's not something that a company should take lightly um mm -hmm. i i've seen coaching I, I know you haven't asked this yet ross but i have seen coaching fail where mm -hmm. like i said earlier where coaching has been assigned to somebody who is not a good fit for the company or the position right. and they're trying to turn it around through a coach. And that's, that's not the right way to use a coach. Is coaching ever used? I hope this isn't completely uncomfortable question, but it, from an HR standpoint, right? Is coaching ever used as like a last resort before firing somebody or that's not, that's like a performance plan or something like that. A company isn't going to invest in coaching as a way of saying, okay, we did all we could do for this person. Yeah. Now we can fire them with clean hands. Yeah, I, I have seen that in my career where they brought in a coach just to tick the box. Like, okay, mm -hmm. that's, that's exactly the tick the box thing is what I'm, um, I, I personally, if given the choice, I would not support that because I don't think that's right to the individual and that's not right for the company. Um, and I know that, um, although I've seen that, very rarely does someone turn that around, you know? Right. It, that person needs a different thing. Um, and that's why we have performance management uh, processes in place. Right. Um, so yeah, different purposes. It's, it's a very different thing. Does anybody have a question that they wanna jump on camera and ask Debbie, please feel free to do so. Um, just request to come on, we'll bring you right on. Um, now, when, when people have a company say like, okay, we're going to have you work with a coach, is the first instinct of a lot of people like, okay, what did I do wrong? Or, oh, they don't <laughs> think I'm any good anymore. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. they, they thought I was a high potential and now they obviously must not anymore. When what you were saying really before is that they've identified somebody that, that really has a lot of potential and they want to make an extra investment in making mm -hmm. sure they stay with the company and they get on the right, they stay on the the track that they want them on, right? They develop the skills mm -hmm. that they need. So when they're promoted, 
it's not like, oh my God, what do I do? But right. instead they have like the inner toolkit mm-hmm. to face it, right? Yeah. But yeah. obviously a lot of people, and particularly maybe more experienced employees who mm-hmm. may start to doubt, okay, I'm not on the track anymore, or they don't care for me, or yeah. hey, my way of doing things has got me here for 30 years. Now you're going to bring somebody in to tell me I'm no good. <laughs> right. So how do you deal with that, that, you know, where the person feels defensive in the beginning, sure. like feels like, okay, this is an attack on me by the company. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Such a good question, Ross. I remember one of my very, very, very first clients what, right out, right out the gate, right out of the gate <laughs> was defensive. I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> Could I not get an easy one? No, no, I'm joking. Actually, we, we, it turned out that we, we ended up having a wonderful coaching relationship, but it was a rocky start because apparently the manager um, said to her, you're going to, you're going to participate in this coaching. That's it. And didn't really explain why. And this person was, was, is a, a high performer. And so obviously she came in and had her arms crossed and was like, you're going to tell me what to do now. You know? <laughs> And what was interesting um, was that <laughs> what was interesting was that um, I used that defensiveness as the basis for our coaching. Right. And I'm I, I'm not I'm a, okay. Listen, I've been here for 16 years in New York City. I, I like to consider myself a New Yorker now. Right. So I'm pretty. I can be pretty assertive. And at that moment, I I just said, okay, I'm just gonna put this aside for a second. I just want to understand what what is. What are you defensive about? I'm, I'm sensing that you are being defensive. What is really happening? And I remember that first hour that we talked, um, she just shared so much. Like, I don't know what's going on. My boss doesn't tell me stuff. I think I'm performing well and, you know, all this. And I'm sitting, and I wanted so badly to say to her, did you know that this is actually a, a perk? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a punishment. And yet she thought it was. And um, so my point to this was um, that that resistance that sometimes I experience, not often, but sometimes I experience, I just face it head on to say, what, what's really happening? What, what's making you so mad about being here? Or what, what are you confused about? And then we try to uncover that. It's like the layers of an onion right. we uncovering. Um, but yeah, I, I think more often than not, people, people really enjoy the coaching experience because they feel safe and they feel... Like I can talk about anything right. that I want and, um, and hopefully they see it as a perk. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Cindy says, love all your insights, Debbie. How do you market yourself? How do clients or businesses find you? Oh, great, great question, Cindy. Um, so I actually don't really do much marketing. Um, I'm, I've, I've been really busy to be honest. I, I just started this new job and I work in full time. I, I have a 16 month old baby. <laughs> <laughs> so she keeps me really busy and uh yeah so my coaching i do um i i don't do a lot of marketing and, and i'm thinking i'm thinking as i'm getting more settled in my new job and i'm getting used to my baby getting older and older um that i will be doing some more marketing and actually if you live in the new york city area my colleague and i um she's also a coach um we're thinking about doing some um executive breakfast meetings. We say executive. It doesn't have to be you have to be an executive. But um, it's if you are working for um, a firm, or even if you're not working for a firm, come and have a free breakfast on us. And my friend and I are going to demo what it is to go through a coaching scenario. Um, And um, 
you know, we would promote our, our services that way. And you guys could learn a little bit more about um, us and the kind of topics that we go through. And I always say in terms of, you know, the coaching process, because a lot of people don't know this, my first session is free. So if you were to sign up with me, um, you know, that first half an hour or 45 minutes is absolutely free. It's not for everyone. Um, I knock on wood, I've never had anyone say, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so after that first session, people love the first session because it's free. Um, after that, they can certainly, you know, sign up. A, a lot of my clients meet with me monthly or biweekly. Um, it depends. Depends on what you want. Do you yourself, uh, Zella S, go for coaching sessions if you need them? Me? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting. I was uh, last night. I was actually interviewed by a grad student um, named named Holly. I don't know if she's on the line. Um, she's. We were talking about um, Asian Asian Canadian. So I'm Canadian. Asian Canadian leaders in the workplace and what it means, you know, with that. And, and then one of the things that she asked me was, what's on your wish list in your career that, you know, what, what do you, she, she was doing a study about, about leadership and women and what, what they, what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And, and some of that, you know, some of the wish lists. And I have to say, when she asked me, what was my wish list? I thought, why didn't I have a career coach from the beginning? Cause there were a lot of mistakes that I made um, that, I had to find out the hard way on my own. And, um, and I guess that's part of the learning process. But if I had a, a career coach early on in my career, um, I think that would have been so tremendously helpful. And I've had, um, I've had mentors and I have my own career coach that I, I see from time to time. And it's just a great tune up. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm facing. What do you think? And what, you know, we go through it and it's, it's just wonderful. I, I love, I also learn from my coach too. She's great. She's great. I, I learned about some of the questions that she asked that I could ask. Talk a little bit about your, your interest in traveling. I know you have a yeah. travel memoir that you wrote. Tell everybody a little bit about that side of you. Sure. Um, so I've written and published a travel memoir called The Same Sky. And it's about my, my solo journey through Tibet, Laos, and Cambodia for four months. Um, and, and back in, um, in 19, 1999, gosh, I was working as a... <laughs> when you were 10. <laughs> when I was very young, yes. Um, yes, so in 1999, I was working in Beijing, China as a consultant. I was uh, a training director at, the, at a hotel management company. And at that time, I was in love with this French guy, and we, we were about to get married, and you know, we were living together. And then one day, he came home and said it was over, and my whole life fell apart. And so I packed up my bags, and I went to go on this self-journey through Tibet, Laos, and Cambodia for four months. And although it was a, a physical journey for me, you know, in terms of traveling, it was also an emotional journey for me as I found strength and, and a resilience in myself that I never knew I had. Um, and from there, I, I moved to New York, where I am at now. And it took me about it took me about ten years to write the story because um, it was such a it was such a tough breakup for me. Um, he was also an alcoholic, um, which did not make things easy. And it was um, my confidence had taken a nosedive. Um, and so it took a long time for me to write the book. And and Ross, I'm glad you brought it up because um, that's something else that I'd love to do, which is I put on these um, travel re uh, travel reading cafes in New York City um, called the Same Sky Cafe. 
and we bring travel bloggers and travel authors like myself together and we read from our, our books or from our, our manuscript. And it would be great if anybody on the call would like to learn more about it. Um, I do have, oh, thank you, Ross, you, you put up my, my book here. I also have, and I'll share it here, I also have a travel website. Um, I haven't blogged in a while. We can blame my 16-month-old kid that takes up all of my time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm slowly gonna get back into to travel writing and uh, travel blogging. And of course, um, the Same Sky Cafe. When you, when you um, wrote the book, or did you write the book as you were traveling, or did you write it all after the fact when you got home? Like, did you have a notebook yeah. and you were jotting down your thoughts on all this, or? <laughs> I, you know, I went into this major depression, and so here I am in gorgeous Tibet, mm -hmm. you know, monks, these trumpets blaring, and just beautiful, beautiful. And I was depressed, <laughs> <laughs> and I had this thick journal that I wrote every day. And um, this is back in the day where um, you could write on paper, <laughs> and it wasn't just digital. But I had all these journals that I brought back with me to New York, and um, and and so being in new york and at that time i was single um i had a lot of time on my hands and so i started writing the book and it first started off as a short story of how i got arrested in tibet for an expired visa <laughs> mental note do not go into tibet with an expired visa <laughs> so i had to uh well i won't give it away but um i was obviously i was not arrested and deported i was able to stay so it started off as a short story, and then it, and then one day, uh, someone who read my my story said, "Oh, you know, you should make this into a novel." And <laughs> so then it became this this memoir about Tibet, and then it became the memoir about Tibet, Laos, and Cambodia about about a failed relationship. Yeah. And when you're writing a a book about travel, how do you decide what to leave out so that you know the story has a certain arc? Obviously, <laughs> it doesn't all necessarily happen day by day by day, right? So how do you how do you kind of shape that so that for the reader it's it's consistent, right? It's like yeah. they, they follow the larger story yeah. without getting lost in every every last detail. I, I imagine yeah. there's a lot of like editing you gotta do <laughs> and along the process. Well it's um yeah I think that um it's it's not about what exactly I said to that monk, you know, or <laughs> what was really you know what was really happening in my mind then you know it's it's hard to know exactly 100 percent. you know what is that what is the truth and i wrote this story based on the journals about how i was feeling that day when i was in the market in tibet or when i was at this temple in laos and and i i, I took a lot of pictures and i remembered a lot of the interactions i had with people so the story was a lot up about these interactions i had with with the folks um and the feelings that i had at that time and a lot of that was captured on paper in my journals. And a lot of it was in my memory, too. Um, we, you know, and you don't even have to have been to Asia or you don't have to have, you know, been to Tibet to read my book. Like, I think we've all, I think for the most part, uh, we've all been in, in relationships where maybe we've been dumped or we were doing the dumping and it's not pleasant and it's uncomfortable. And and a lot of times we blame ourselves and um and we feel bad about it. And uh, and that's why I wrote this book, because I wanted to inspire people to not only travel to these wonderful places, but to be inspired and to believe that, you know, if if you, you've had a broken heart, it doesn't mean that you're a loser and that you'll never be able to be in another relationship. Right. But actually you you're in, you're inspired by 
the fact that you have a strength within you that maybe you never knew you had. I met people in Cambodia who had gone through, their families had been wiped out in the Cambodian genocide from 1977 and 1979, who, you know, this is in 1999, 20 years later, we're at the market, smiling and happy to be alive. And I'm like, man, I thought I had problems. Hmm. And you meet these people and you're like, wow, they just have such a wonderful perspective in life. I'm not saying they don't have any problems, but just the idea that, you know, these people have a fighting spirit that just makes you want to have the same too. Wow, that's terrific. Um, So tell everybody again where they can find your your website and then how they can contact you as far as coaching goes. Sure, sure. Um, So I live in New York City. And um, if you also live in New York City and you're interested in coaching, um, we can um, certainly talk and we can do that on the phone or we can meet in person. My first session is always free. So, um, and that's like the first 30 minutes or 45 minutes, you know, just for you to get a a flavor about coaching. And then from there, you know, it's up to you how often you want to meet. Um, Usually a a coaching session is about an hour and I can share with you um, some, my my rates. And, um, and actually, because if you mentioned that you uh, saw this talk, I can give you a a nice big discount. Um, Yeah. Exclusive uh, to the live stream universe. And you're welcome to uh, contact me by email, which, uh, Ross, if you're able to, or I could type it up right here. This is my email address. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And if you're on, uh, listen, I have clients all over. I have a client in, um, in Amsterdam. I have a client um, in Canada, and I have clients here in New York City. So you don't have to be local here in New York to take advantage you of this. use Skype or you use the phone? How do you work with distant clients? Or whatever's um, whatever's most yeah, comfortable for the whatever's the most yeah whatever's the most comfortable yeah and and all I ask is come come to me with an issue what's on your mind you know and let's let's talk about that and I'm just here to listen and ask questions yeah thank you so much Debbie this was a great conversation yeah. I, I yes. learned a lot about the coaching process and of course yes. it's great to hear about your travel stories always. Uh, <laughs> You can you can find her book in the comments. The same sky. Uh, there's a link to the Amazon if you're interested in that. And the website for travel is debbylwong.com. So mm-hmm. please do join us tomorrow. It's our big live stream universe college football preview show. We'll also talk to uh, Mark Rogers, our guest from ESPN and Mark Rogers TV, about what's involved with uh, building a successful YouTube channel and marketing that channel towards a niche audience. So it should be of interest whether or not you're a college football fan. That's 1 p.m. right back here on Fire Talk. Have a great night, everybody.